person. You know the old saying, a rose called by any other name is still just a rose. And I think that we see in our world today that people try to change the names of things to make them more acceptable. In 1956... Ultrasound was introduced to the medical field. And through ultrasounds and pictures nowadays uh, from cameras, you can see a child developing in the womb. And it's really an amazing thing to watch and to see as it progresses from the time of conception up to the time that it is brought into this world. And people sometimes refer to that as a miracle of life, Though it really is not a miracle, because that's just the way God set things up. But when you look at those pictures, it's amazing to see how a child develops. And as I told Elizabeth the other day, as I was holding uh, uh, Logan, they're precious when they're this age. You should have more. (laughs) She didn't like that idea. But then they grow up to be teenagers. But the point is, I don't know how we come up to the point in our society that we've come to. I hear commercial after commercial after commercial calling it pro-abortion, pro, uh, calling it Uh, reproductive rights, calling it choice, calling it a lot of different things. And there may be some here today who may not appreciate what I've got to say today, but so be it. I want to look at God's Word and see what God has to say about it. I noticed that there was an article, news article, about the Prime Minister of Canada was introducing legislation to make assisted suicide more available to people. Younger people also, where they could take their own lives. And I just think that that's sad. That we've come to that point in our world where those things are readily talked about and accepted. As Mo read for us in Psalm chapter 139, I was going to have him read the whole chapter, but I gave him a break. But look at those verses again. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Think about it when you two cells with half of the DNA from each parent combines and grows into a child. And in nine months, you can hold that child in your arms. You can look that child in the face. You can kiss it on the cheek. You can hug it. You can feed it. 
You can do all those wonderful things that God has made possible in our world today. Throughout mankind's history, there's been a demand to respect life. We can see in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6, and surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast while I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. There we see that God is telling people that, guess what? It's not okay to take innocent life. It's not okay to take someone's life who is not guilty of something that is uh, uh, worthy of death. The Bible tells us that there are some things that are worthy of death. Then you may not agree with capital punishment, but the Bible gives us the authority for that in Romans chapter 13. But here God is saying, guess what? Man's life is valuable. And it needs to be respected. We can even look at it in the animal kingdom. That there's respect for the animals in not eating their blood. In Genesis chapter two, begin or Genesis chapter nine, beginning in verse two, it says, "And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered." Every moving thing that liveth must or shall be meat for you, even as the green herbs have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. In other words, animals that have their blood in them that have not been drank, you're not supposed to eat those things. It goes on in Leviticus in chapter 17, beginning of verse 10, it says, For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life is all flesh, is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. And every soul that eateth that which dieth of itself, or that which is born or torn but with beasts, whether it be one of his own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the eve. Uh, then shall he be clean. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. There we see that if you come upon roadkill, you shouldn't pick that thing up and take it home if it's been there, if you can't get the blood out of it. That's what he's telling us in the Old Testament. And, and, and we certainly understand the reasons for some of those things today. That if an animal just dies on itself, I'm not going to eat it. I don't know about you. But I don't want to eat it. Because we don't know if it's something that could affect us. You don't know how long it's been dead. You don't know what kind of germs or bacteria or whatever may be inside that animal. And so God had rules and regulations. And we respect those things. But human life is different. You see, man is not like the animal. The animal was not made in the image of God. But man has been made in the image of God. As it tells us in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, 
And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. Human beings are different. We're made in the image of God. He breathed into the breath of life into the nostrils of man and He became a living soul. And the Bible tells us that our soul is worth more than the world. You take all the possessions, all the wealth of the world, and our soul is more valuable than that. And that soul is housed in this tabernacle, this body. And so we're made in the image of God which makes us special, makes us different than all the other creation. God is the giver of life. In Romans, or Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 24, it says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things. And all hath made of, or hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath de- determined the times upon before appointed and the bounds of his habitation that they seek the Lord if haply they may find him and find him though he be not far from every one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of our own poets have said. For we are also His offspring. Again, we're made in the image of God. Paul walking through the city saw all these idols that were erected to all these different gods. And he saw the one idol to the unknown God. And that's the one that he wanted to declare. Not because it was a statue, but because they didn't know the one true God. And that one true God who made us in His image gives us the breath that we breathe, the life that we have. And when a child comes into this world, guess what? It's God that's given that life. It's God that made that possible. It's God that is the giver of everything that we have. You see, we pass laws to protect the life of protected species. If you've ever been down in Florida or some coast that has uh, turtles, you'll see that turtle legs are protected. I've walked down the coast and I, in, in, in certain portions and you can see where they've got caution tape all around. They've got flags put up so that you don't go up and you bother their nest. So you don't walk over their nest. Then there's nothing wrong with trying to protect a species. We can look how the eagles... Bald eagles have made a great comeback. And many other animals that are protected have made a comeback. Because laws were enacted to protect those animals. In many states, the death penalty has been difficult to enforce. Because people have been doing everything they can to make all forms of the death of a criminal, illegal. I don't like to see them lose their lives either. But the Bible says that government was given to protect 
good people from evil people, and that the government does not bear the sword in vain in Romans chapter 13. And so many times people say, well, how can you argue for the death penalty and, 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 and then be opposed to abortion? Well, that child is innocent. That criminal is guilty. Now, I'm sure you can come up with somebody, mention somebody's name that has been uh, put to death and they were found innocent years later or sometime later. And that happens. And people will give an account for that. But the Bible plainly tells us that God hates those who shed innocent blood. And sometimes that criminal has shed innocent blood. We don't put people to death because they're a shoplifter. We don't put people to death because they robbed a bank. They had to have done something that's taken someone's life in most cases that I know of. I don't know of any other cases. All of them that I know of, someone lost a life, so they had taken someone's life. God hates those that shed innocent blood. And you can't get any more innocent than a child, whether it's born or unborn. Yet, not too long ago, you saw in New York when they passed a law that allowed to have abortions all the way up to the time of birth, the day before the child was born. You see all these politicians cheering and rejoicing. And I think they're cheering that they can kill an innocent child. You be. Isn't it sad? Where's the logic in all the madness? When does life start? When does someone become a human human being? To avoid the charges of murder, thus advocating abortion, have long claimed that it's a fetus in the womb and not a child. Remember what I said, a rose by any other name is still a rose. You can change the name, you can call it a fetus, you can call it tissue, you can call it whatever you want. But in the Bible, it's still called a child. You see, we protect those turtle eggs. Remember that? Why is it that we call them turtle eggs? We protect eagle eggs. Why do we call it eagle eggs? Why isn't it just tissue? Because we know what's inside. That's why. When a woman is expecting, we say she's with child and not. She's with a mass of tissue. If a pregnant woman is killed and the murderer is usually charged with a double homicide, why is that? When they take the life of the mother... They also take the life of the children. And in Exodus chapter 21, 
beginning in verse 22 and 24, it says, If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. Notice what that scripture said. If a woman with child, that's still inside of her. God recognized it as a child. Let's look at a few examples of what the Bible has to say about the unborn. When we look at Rebecca in the Old Testament when she became child, we realize or read that her children struggled with inside her. In Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 21, it says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah his wife conceived, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. What did God recognize when He's talking here about what was inside of Rebekah? People. A child. Children, the Scripture says. And those two children represented nations. One child was going to be stronger than the other. One nation would be stronger than the other. God didn't call him a fetus. God didn't call him some tissue. God called him a child. Children. In Job chapter thirty-three, in verse or Job chapter three, in verse three, Job regretted the night that a male child was conceived. Listen to what it says. Let thy day perish wherein I was born. And the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived. Again, reflecting now, obviously he's out of the womb and he's a full-grown man at this time. But as he looked back, what did he refer to it as? A child. A male child. Notice Davis himself as he describes him being formed as a child in the womb. As being himself, as it says there in verse 13 of uh, Psalms chapter 139, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me with my, in my mother's womb. And I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that thy soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wroth in the lowest. What's he saying? He recognizes that he's a child. That he's a human being. He's made in the image of God. And God was knowledgeable of where he was at and what was taking place. Isaiah, when he's talking about Jesus, he's telling about the anointing. In Isaiah chapter 49, beginning in verse 1, it says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother, hath he made mention of of my name. And then down to verse 5, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb, so be his servant to bring Jacob again to him. 
Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. From the womb, it was prophesied, from the womb, Jesus was God's anointed. When He came to this world in the form of a human being to die for our sins, in the womb He's referred to as God's anointed. When we look at in the New Testament, we can see Elizabeth who conceived the Son. And that Son obviously was not born at this particular time in Luke chapter 1. In verse 36 it says, And behold, the cousin of Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a Son in her old age, and this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. Again, she conceived a Son. A human being. It wasn't tissue. It wasn't a fetus. It wasn't something else. The Bible refers to it as a human being, a child. Verse 44, And lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutations sounded in my ears, that babe leapt in my womb for joy. So think about what the Scripture showing us here. It's a human being. It's a child. It's a baby. But yet the world wants to say that is something else. And many times I think that that is to soothe people's conscience. God tells us that it's wrong. Nowhere in Hebrew Scripture or in the Greek does it distinguish between a child conceived and a child that is born. And so thus the conclusion that we must come to is that anyone stating that it isn't human life after conception is just making some arbitrary decision. You say, well, in the womb, it couldn't survive outside of the womb. Well, I'll tell you what, if you take little Logan over there and you sit him over here in the corner... He's born and he's a human being. How long do you think he'll last without getting any food or water or even love? How long do you think he'll last? What we're witnessing is an evil where human life is claimed to have less value than animals. In fact, in many cases, no value at all. And that's sad. That's a sad commentary on our world today. And Christians need to think about what the Bible teaches on that subject. There's many other verses we could look at. I want to point out we have a problem on the other end of the scale too. As I mentioned, in Canada, they've introduced legislation to make it easier for people to have assisted suicide. And you say, well, you know, these people, you know, if, if, if there's no quality of life, then maybe they should be able to take their life. Well, we need to remember that life is given from God. And when Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm not sure that he was just talking about his substance or his possessions. 
I think that he realized that his children were a blessing from God, that God had given him those children, and God could take those children. And the same is true in his own life, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But while we find that there are people in the Old Testament that have taken their lives that did commit suicide, we find that only in extreme situations, but righteous people we don't find ever took their own lives. It was something that they left in the hands of God. God was the one that gave, and God is the one that can take away life. And He blesses us and watches over us. And yes, there are times that we may look at it and say it's cruel. But listen, listen to what Job said. Job in Job chapter 3, beginning of verse 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Job was in misery. He had lost his possessions. He'd lost his his livelihood. His herds were gone. His servants destroyed. His family killed. He's covered from head to toe in boils. He wanted to die. He was miserable. He wanted the grave to come. And maybe there's times in our own lives where we've experienced that something bad's happening to our bodies and we think we'd be better off dead. But do we take it into our own hands? Or do we leave it in God's hands? Job left it in God's hands. Look at Elijah. Where am I at here? Look at Elijah. Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4, he was struggling. You just see that he came off a of Mount Carmel where God has sent down that fire and that altar was consumed. All those things, that water dried up, everything. And all of Baal's prophets had been killed. And Jezebel's angry with Elijah. And Elijah is ready to die. Listen to what he says in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. You ever been in a situation like that? Where life is so depressed, so depressing, that you just assume leave this world? That's where Elijah was at. You say, well, I can't imagine anybody being in that situation. You need to get out more. You need to visit more people. I've run into a lot of people and visited with a lot of people that are in misery and would love for life to end. It happens every day, all the time. Not, I mean, I don't go see somebody every day like that. I'm just saying every day there are people in that situation that just want it to end. But you see Job, you see Elijah, and you see Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4 and verse 3, Therefore, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
He was unhappy that people had repented, and so he's miserable. He's out in his little booth and he's wanting to die. And maybe that's the way we feel sometimes when we see the wickedness and, and the sin-sick world that we live in. We may just be thinking, it's better for us to die. I'd rather just get out of this world. And sure, we would love the Lord to return. At least I hope that we're wanting the Lord to return. But again, it's God that gives us life. And it's God who makes that appointment for us. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. God makes that appointment. Not you, not me. In several European countries, such as the Netherlands, euthanasia, as voluntary deaths, have been steadily rising. Somewhere between 4 and 5% of the deaths are by assisted suicide. I read that in Canada, if they get this law passed, that tourists won't be able to come to Canada and take their lives. I thought, wow, what would stop them? <laughs> but they want to put certain limits on it. I guess they don't want to be the mecca for assisted suicide. Again, it shows a lack of respect for life. In describing the downward spiral of the Greek society, Paul charges them with many sins. In Romans chapter 1, verse, beginning of verse 28, it says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, nor not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You think about that list. That's a sad commentary on the society that Paul lived in in his day. And that doesn't mean that you go out and you kill these people when it says they're worthy of death. It means they're worthy of the second death. They're going to they're be lost if they don't change. But what I want us to realize there in verse 31, in that second to the last word in the Greek, that word is astogos, without natural affection. That's what it means. It's describing what is happening in our society. We've lost the natural love for our fellow human beings. And you can put a lot of other problems in our world today in that category, not only just abortion and euthanasia, 
But you can see the lack of value people put on life when they drive by and just shoot people and kill them, take their lives. How many people this weekend will be killed by gunfire or a knife fight or some other way because people don't value life in major cities and across our country? They don't love, they don't have that natural affection for their fellow human being. And many times when you see someone on the side of the road that's hurt, you see people just driving by, driving by. Because they don't value what the Lord values. You see, this world is rapidly losing the concept of love your neighbor as yourself. And so think about that. Think about what the Lord wants us to be. How He wants us to live. Not only valuing the soul, but valuing that body that, that, that possesses that soul. Realizing that, that human beings are made in the image of God. There's something different about us. And that we need to love each other. and We need to care for each other. And that would include the unborn. Realizing that they are human beings also. And you can call it whatever you want. Reproductive rights, choice, whatever it may be. Just remember, a rose called by any other name is still a rose. That child is still a child, according to our Creator. One who made it all possible for us to begin with. According to Him, that unborn Baby is a child, a human being. And they're precious in the sight of God. This morning, maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe, you know, I've come across people that have had abortions. And some of the, many times that I, the people that I've talked to are very upset in their life that they did that. They wish they had never done it. But it's not the unpardonable sin. You can get forgiveness if you realize what you've done. God can wash away that sin just like any other sin. And that's the really the good news. And when we mess up, and sometimes we mess up pretty bad, God still loves us. He doesn't kick us to the curb and say, I don't need you, I don't want you. He still loves us. And He still loves you. That's what we need to understand. He came to this world to save sinners. And in doing so, He tells us what we need to do in order to be saved. He told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. That's the good news, that He died for our sins, that He was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave on the third day. And when we believe that message and we are baptized into Christ, that's going down into the water and coming up out of that water, we're a new creature. We're a new child of God. We've been born again. And that sin is washed away. Now as a Christian, we need to realize that it doesn't mean we can go out here and do these things that the world says is okay and that we're going to get a free ride that God's just going to forgive us. We need to be careful. Because when we willfully sin, that's a dangerous thing. God doesn't want us to go out there and do those things. 
Well, sometimes you say, well, isn't all sin willful? Don't we do everything that we do because we want to? Well, yes, that's true. But there's a difference in sinning with a high hand. And I'm going to do this in acts of rebellion because I'm, I want to do it. And I'm going to show you I'm going to do it. As opposed to just making a mistake. Doing something you know you shouldn't do. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to become one. Have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. And if you are a Christian and you've committed sin and you need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity when we stand and sit